Welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. One thing I love about Ignatian spirituality is that it's so practical. Faith isn't a separate part of your life you observe only on Sundays, but instead Jesuit tradition talks about finding and serving God in all things and places, including where you work. My friend Mike Barkley is all about bringing Ignatian spirituality into his everyday life. Mike is the CEO at Kind Snacks, that company that makes those granola bars with the clear wrapper and the rainbow logo I often find myself impulsively grabbing at Starbucks. I used to be the youth minister at the parish where Mike and his wife Amy raised their four kids, and I got to know their family a bit. Mike is an alum of St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland, and in recent years, he has really worked at growing his faith in a bunch of ways, including through the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola. In our conversation, Mike and I talk about how he has used Ignatian tools to discern big family and career choices, plus how a character from Star Wars helped him completely reframe his approach as a manager. And stick around until the end of the show to hear Mike blow my mind by telling me what snack he invented when he worked at Frito-Lay. Thanks for joining us. Well, Mike Barkley, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So you're on because uh, you have an interesting job, which is uh, serving as the uh, CEO of Kind Granola Bars, which is my house's uh, favorite granola bar. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have to say that to you to, to um, you know to get you to like me because I think you already like me because we go back a ways. Where uh, had connection when I worked at, at a parish in New Jersey, and uh, you were at the time working for Campbell Soup, but also really involved in in the parish and with some uh, social justice projects we had going on at a at a center based at that parish. So we got to know each other there, and I got to know your family, uh, and so we go back. And it, it was then when I learned a little bit about your some of your Jesuit roots. And now that I'm working for the Jesuits, I thought, oh, let's get let's get Mike on to talk about how Ignatian spirituality is uh, at work in his life and, and why that's important to him. So for those uh, folks out there who don't know you, maybe you could just start by uh, sharing a little bit about uh, your background, what you do. Yeah, happy to, Mike. Uh, and we do go back away. So thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for reaching out. Happy to be on uh, on the podcast. Uh, as you said, Mike Barkley, I'm currently CEO of Kind uh, Healthy Snacks. But by way of background, uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I was the youngest of five kids, and I went to a Jesuit high school there called St. Ignatius High School, uh, which is actually where my uh, dad had gone as well. He was class of 53. I was class of 84. Uh, and then post-Ignatius, uh, I went to uh, UVA for undergrad and uh, University of North Carolina for my MBA. And then uh, I currently live in central New Jersey in the kind of Trenton-Princeton area where I'm a member of St. Anne's Parish, where uh, you, know, you and I cross paths. Um, I've been married to my wife, Amy, for 25 years, uh, and at home we have uh, our puppy, Charles Barkley, and then we have uh, four incredible kids, and we're kind of quasi-empty nesters now, but uh, my oldest, Sarah, is 24. She's graduated, lives in uh, the D.C. area. Uh, my son, Kevin's 22. He uh, is in art school in New York. Uh, Caroline is 19, a sophomore in Delaware, and we still have one at home. Uh, our daughter, Emily, is 16. She's a junior in high school. So that's a little bit about kind of my background and, uh, and and who I am. Yeah. So before we jump into a little bit more of your story, just tell tell me a little bit more about you know kind. Again, I, I think of it uh, as you know the granola bar, the healthy snack bar you see you know at a bunch of restaurants or like you know near the checkout spot. Uh, we definitely like them. Like what what's the the deal with uh, with kind snacks? 
Yeah, so Kind Snacks is uh, more or less about uh, having tasty and healthy uh, snack options for folks. We have both, uh, our, our, I guess our, our, our uh, foundation or flagship product was uh, invented 15 years ago. It was a Kind Fruit and Nut Bar. And that was invented by our founder, Daniel Lebetsky, who actually I'd like to talk about in a little bit, but he's a social justice entrepreneur who is on a mission to um, uh, improve peace and relations in the Middle East through economic cooperation between Arabs and Israelis was one of the things he was doing. And as he was flying around uh, the globe uh, and eating on the run, uh, he wasn't happy with his options. He could have something that he enjoyed, which wasn't good for him, or something that was good for him, but not good. particularly convenient or enjoyable. And so he created the Kind Fruit and Nut Bar. That was 15 years ago. Uh, and Kind has been a forefront of a little bit of the uh, uh, clean, uh, simple eating revolution of the last 15 years or so. So uh, in the last 15 years, we've grown to be uh, a billion dollar retail uh, brand in the U.S. alone. And we're now expanding our, our borders uh, across the globe. Uh, we're now in 30 countries uh, as of last year. So, uh, you know, it's the Kind Bar. Uh, we have nut bars, we have granola bars, we have some granola. Uh, we're known for our kind logo, our rainbow logo, and our clear and transparent packaging. So a lot of people saw us for the first time uh, in Starbucks. You went up to get your cup of coffee 10 years ago, five years ago, and there's a fruit nut bar with a clear wrapper called Kind, and that's how a lot of people got exposed to us. But we're uh, in stores all over the country, and uh, uh, you know we've become quite a, quite a, quite a big brand uh, over time. Uh, but the great thing about us, it's not just the product, it's our mission. Our mission is to make the world a little healthier and a little kinder place, one snack and one act at a time. Uh, and we're really a purpose-driven uh, company, which was a which was a huge thing that uh, uh, drew me to kind of a little over a year ago. Yeah, so we'll get in a little bit more about your journey there and a little bit more about the work Kind is doing. But I want to turn back the clock a little bit to kind of trace your journey. Uh, so since I've known you, I feel like your high school, going to having gone to St. Ignatius in Cleveland, was like a big source of pride. I've known this like with the number of <laughs> folks I've met who have like Jesuit <laughs> high school roots. Like I have a friend who went to uh, St. Joe Prep in Philadelphia, and like his bachelor party was like all high school friends. And as someone who like I kept in touch with like a couple of high school folks, but there's yeah. just this strong community there. Um, so what, talk about your time at that school. Why was it so important to you? Um, you mentioned the connection with your dad. Were there any Jesuits there who had a particular impact? So yeah, tell me more about your, your time at St. Ignatius. Yeah, it's a source of pride and it is a big part of my fabric. There's a joke in Cleveland. Uh, how do you know if somebody went to Ignatius? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Exactly. So it's one of those. Um, but it really is a great bonding experience and it is um, one of those things that kind of shape your fabric. So Ignatius had a, a huge impact on me. You know, a couple of them are the ones that anybody who knows Jesuit education would be fairly obvious. You know, uh, I love the emphasis on, you know, intellectual curiosity and love of learning. Uh, certainly the hard work and the discipline needed to succeed in a, uh, in a demanding environment like that paid off. And of course, you know, the emphasis on community service and, and servant uh, leadership. But I think you already hit on it. One of the, the, the things that's so meaningful to me is that bond of what we call being an Ignatius man forever. Uh, so I was class 84. My dad was class of 53. Uh, he and I actually go to the alumni retreat weekend together every year. Actually, it's next uh, next year, so everybody gets a kick out of that because he's the oldest alumni who goes. I think we're the only father-son duo who go every year. Uh, you mentioned uh, your St. Joe's friend, the bachelor party or whatever. You know, three of the guys at my wedding were classmates at Ignatius. Those, those three actually went all the way back to kindergarten. Uh, and I go to like a Browns away game with a group of five other Ignatius classmates every year. So um, there's actually a line in our alma mater – uh, years of passing cannot sever it. 
you know, tides of day, uh, tides of new days from the old. And I've certainly found that to be, uh, be true. So big part of my, uh, identity and big part of my fabric. Just chatting with you a little bit in preparation for this though, it seems like kind of later, more recently in life within the past, you know, handful of years, maybe not a direct line from high school to the present that kind of you've reconnected with Ignatian spirituality and kind of find that as like uh, an, an important part of your own spiritual journey. Yeah, I would certainly say it's um, uh, maybe a little bit of a general spiritual reawakening, but certainly rediscovering, not like rediscovering my Ignatian spirituality, but I think the key's been going really deep into it and then applying it to all aspects of my life, not just my spiritual and prayer life or my family life, but my work life and, and bringing it into corporate America and, and being an executive leader. So in the last 10 to 15 years, it's been a huge uh, a huge part. So I'd say in fairness, you know, I don't know if I've kept Ignatian spirituality pretty consistently since those high school days. There were certainly plenty of years where my spiritual life was a little on the barren side. Uh, but if, you know, like I said, unfortunately, I, I rediscovered my spirituality in general and certainly my Ignatian spirituality in particular uh, later in life. Um, a couple of ways I've done that. Um, uh, you might know her sister, Rita Wilkie, uh, was the spiritual director at our parish St. Anne's for a while. And I did spiritual direction through her. And then I'd go to a, a retreat house on a soybean farm in central New Jersey called the Francis House of Prayer, run by another SSJ, uh, Sister Marcy Springer. And I do the spiritual exercises there. So it's kind of a, a, a version of the 19th annotation, which is the one you, if you can't do a 30 day retreat, how you bring the retreat into, into real life. And every year we do it from um, September through May. So it's like a nine month process of going through the, the 19th annotation of the spiritual exercises. So as somebody who's kind of uh, type A, <laughs> I like having structure even for my prayer life and, and Ignatius certainly provides that. And then I also personally like to get a lot of physical exercise and I like to, you know, the idea of doing the same for my soul. So both the physical exercise and the Ignatian spiritual exercises uh, kind of give me uh, energy for my, for my life's journey as it were. Could you tell a little bit of the story of kind of how you, you came back to that? Like what were some of those connections or what were some of the things that you reflected on or learned kind of early on in that, that process that helped you see like, oh, wow, there's like this really big connection between uh, this way of approaching my spirituality and my life outside of church, you know, those other six days of the week? Uh, well, I'll tell you, I don't know, Mike, it's really interesting. There wasn't like a, this lightning bolt where I got knocked off my hawk horse and you know, went from being Saul to being Paul. But it's, it's been, uh, I kind of liken it to, um, you know, I'm not a golfer, uh, but you know, Hey, you go in the driving range, you get some instruction, you learn how to swing. Uh, you know, you go on the course, uh, you give it a whirl and apply it. And then you go back to the range and you tinker with it. And it's a kind of continuous cycle. That's what it's been for me. Although I guess I could almost say it like, Hey, you know, played golf in high school, walked away from the game and it was, Hey, how do I get, um, reconnected with it but it wasn't an overnight process i've been really working on it hard the last 15 years but i think that i'd say the two biggest things that it reawoken to me was first and foremost for sure uh is the idea of servant leadership and being a man for others uh, as i was trying to become a better uh husband father and leader uh, i really wanted to say what is my purpose and what are my principles and ultimately i, I discovered through the process that my purpose is to uh, uh, you know, to, to love and serve God by love and serving others. And then specifically my vocation, the way I'm going to make that happen is uh, by leading and serving as a man for others, uh, starting with my family, my wife, my kids, but then uh, anybody who comes across my path in the business world who whose uh, stewardship I'm entrusted to. So um, it just reawoken that uh, man for others notion and that servant leadership uh, notion in me. 
Uh, the second thing that I think really uh, is it really gravitated the concepts of spiritual poverty and interior freedom. You know, as somebody who's a little bit more of a type A and was a, more of a control freak, you know, the notion of, hey, let go and let God. And when you hit big events in your life and you're trying to figure out where to go, um, you know, uh, you know, try to find God's will and go through that process of discernment. So as far as an overall framework and helping me guide my journey in life um, and be open to wherever, you know, Christ wanted to lead me, uh, as well as just the notion of, hey, within that, I always know I was going to try to do my best to be a servant leader. I think those are the probably the two big things that it really uh, reawoken to me and I've really applied um, uh, probably hopefully uh, uh, reasonably proficiently over the last uh, 15 years or so. I want to ask about specifically of taking some of those principles and bringing them with you to your to your work to these you know big companies Fortune 500 companies in your past like kind of high pressure uh, situations. Uh, I think about the kind of Ignatian hallmark of finding God in all things again that that sense that you talked about of like not just having my spiritual life be kind of. Uh, sectioned off in this like part of my life, but having that like inform the way I approach things uh, every day. And you mentioned servant leadership. Are there, are there any stories you can remember from like, as you started to make those connections and again, you see yourself as, as a leader and you're responsible for managing other people, how you kind of started to shift your perspective from just being a, you know, a manager or a leader to being like really a, a servant leader rooted in being a man for others. Yeah. I gotta tell you like that overall notion of total integration of who you are and how you show up everywhere for everybody was huge because, you know, until it happened for me, and I can, I could share a story where, you know, uh, it kind of, uh, kind of did, you know, I did compartmentalize a little bit, you know, Hey, try to be a good husband, try to be a good father. You know, me from St. Anne's, I was a founding member of the pastoral council. I was on the board of trustees of the center for faith justice, which was a not-for-profit, you know, founded for, uh, you know, shaping the next generation of, of servant leaders. And so, okay, Hey, here's Mike Barkley, this man for others. And, you know, Ignatian spirituality, applying it. And then you'd see me in kind of the corporate world. It wasn't that I was going to say a bad guy, but I compartmentalized and I was, I the tiger, Mike Barkley, you know, smart, hardworking, driven, always got the results kind of a thing. And uh, I wasn't always, uh, I was rarely kind of putting others first. I was more like people were a means to an end to drive my results rather than, hey, they were the end of the, their, their own right. So that's been a huge unlock for me, Mike. But uh, one specific opportunity, uh, at a time when that really kind of the light bulb went out, uh, had very little to do with leadership text and with uh, Ignatian spirituality. I was at Campbell's Soup. I was a VP of marketing. I was managing five businesses. I'd come from J&J, where I was, you know, 15-year veteran, and all my direct reports were like 10 or 12 years experience. I'm at Campbell's. I'm not like an 18-year veteran out of business school. Everybody on my team was really junior. They're all like five, six years or less. Total experience all only at Campbell's. So uh, our business was doing terrible. All five of our businesses were just performing poorly. And the more uh, I, I, I struggled with the situation, just the more I tightened the reins and turned the screws and got frustrated, got impatient. Um, and I was just losing the team. So I talked to the senior guy on the team who I was friends work with and now he's not Catholic. He's a very funny, very quirky Jewish guy. And uh, I'm like, Doug, what do I do? And he's just like, just be Yoda. So I'm like, uh, excuse me. And he's just like, you know, from star Wars, uh, you know, just be Yoda. So it wasn't this leadership tax. It wasn't Ignatian spirituality. It was the force being with me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, listen, you know, you're Yoda. You've, you've got all the experience and all the wisdom and knowledge. We're the young Jedi. 
we want to be like you and we want to do well. We just don't know how you need to teach us. And that's when a big light bulb went on. And I said, wow, the clouds lifted back to my past and said, this is about servant leadership. It's not about what they can do for me to get results. It's what I can do for them, for their personal growth, their professional development, their personal happiness. And hey, if I'm a good player coach and I put them first and they're the end, uh, not the means to an end, then hey, hey. Uh, hopefully they'll grow and drive great results, but if they don't, at least I'm doing the right thing, which is being the servant leader I'm supposed to. So uh, <laughs> a lot for me was, I don't know what year that was, about 2010. So it was literally about 10 years ago where my uh, quirky Jewish uh, team member just said, just be Yoda. And I'm like, that's the best leadership advice I've ever gotten. And that's Do you, I, that's, <laughs> I love that story. Do you remember like specific things that you started doing differently? Like were there, were there different ways you would talk to people or just conduct yourself yeah. differently in meetings? Like what was different? What changed? Yeah, well, first of all, what I had to do is recontact with the team. You, I believe, even under difficult circumstances, even if some behaviors, what you say, how you say it, how you act, how you feel, are understandable, you still own them, right? There's always that space between the situation you're in or the stimulus you get and how you choose to look at it and how you choose to respond to it. So the first thing I had to do was recontact with the team and just own it and apologize. I said, guys, I've been a jerk. I'm putting the pressure on you when I should be putting on myself and helping you. And I want to be the best leader I can be for you uh, individually as a team if you'll give me that chance. And and luckily, they gave me that chance. So we kind of contracted on what that would be. But I think the biggest thing was just shifting the mindset. So part of it was um, just uh, uh, listening first rather than telling, uh, listening rather than speaking, and, and asking rather than telling. So I just had a couple of simple devices. Uh, the single biggest, maybe most important one was asking questions. And the most important question was, how can I help? And I just how, I asked, how can I help all the time? Um, so uh, instead of saying, what's going on? And this is what you need. It would be whatever it is. Do you need me to help you make a decision? Do you just need some advice? Are you just telling me? Um, do you need a friend? Do you need a boss? Do you need, what, what, what can I do for you in any given circumstances? And we got really good. At them telling me what they needed from me so that I could put my mind right and I made it situational. How, you know, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a phrase in the Bible, shepherd the flock in, their, in your midst. And I've kind of put my mindset on is this is my flock in my midst right now. Can I help them individually and collectively? At any point in time, it'd be like, hey, how can I help you? And they got really good at uh, <laughs> telling me not only how I could help them, but when. They used to come to me and say, I need Yoda time. I'd be like, okay. So I knew to stop everything, pause button, take a deep breath, be present in the moment with that person and say, what's up? How can I help? And then listen, actively listen, and then go from there. Uh, so that's kind of how I shifted my mindset as well as my behaviors. Yeah, I hear a lot of resonance there with uh, this one kind of Jesuit phrase that we throw around a lot in the uh, Jesuit world is a cura personalis, right? This uh, Latin phrase, so the care of the whole person, the sense that it like a a person, even if you interact with, you know, at work is not just a worker, like they have a lot of other things going on. They have, you know, a spirit and um, they, who know their whole story and to just kind of acknowledge that and then to like work to care for, for the whole person. That's something that, again, they emphasize at a bunch of Jesuit institutions and anytime Jesuit communities come together is like, how are we doing a kind of caring for the whole person? Are, are we seeing, sometimes I think, especially like in 
like in business, like we can reduce people to, as you were saying, like to like the numbers that they're producing. Um, and that not only does that not like acknowledge them as like a child of God, but it also like often doesn't lead to good results in business, as you, you were saying. Well, and it's uh, funny, Mike, that's the difference between you and I. Uh, you're a theology major, so you know that phrase. I have a marketing major, so I didn't know that one. But uh, yes, it's exactly it. And to put in a, in a leadership context way in like the business world, I've all started the same, which is, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Uh, so I think it's that same spirit of, of, of what you're just talking about, which is, hey, I'm here for you as a person and I care about you and your whole being and your well-being. And I've had so many deep personal friendships and professional mentor relationships from that approach that now they've paid a lot of dividends for people. But I, I feel great about it. It's really rewarding and meaningful to me to say, hey, whether it's now, five years from now, or 10 from now, I get people calls from people all the time needing quote unquote quote Yoda time or some other level of advice from a, a signing board. So they know I care. They know that I'm trying to help them realize not only professional success, but personal fulfillment. And you got to show you care before uh, people care what you know. So I think it's that exact uh, concept in, uh, in, uh, <laughs> in less, uh, in non-theology major ways uh, for me. So, so, well, so. <laughs> speaking of making those connections, though, you, when we were preparing for this, you mentioned uh, a book you had uh, read, or the writer Chris Lowney, um, yeah. who had been, uh, he had been in the Jesuits and then left and became an executive at, at J.P. Morgan, but wrote a book, there's a few books, but one uh, called uh, Heroic Leadership that kind of takes some principles from the Jesuit world, from this company of friends, uh, and applies it to kind of business world or leadership opportunities today. Um, and, and so you, you can, you had mentioned that book and I think brings those worlds together and is, is a, a great read. And one thing that he describes, one image he uses that I think from in the Jesuit world that then gets used in, in other places is like the sense of the, like the Jesuit having like kind of one foot in the air, you know, like kind of standing with like one foot ready to go where they're called. And again, Jesuits are always moving around to yeah. these different places, <laughs> going to far flung areas that kind of, for me, I, I hear that, I think almost a little bit about your own story. You know, when I first knew you, you were at Campbell's and then you were called like another direction. And then uh, again, about a year ago, you started at, at Kind and have kind of had those opportunities and, you know, had to discern like what God wanted from you and what your family needed and what you felt called to in those moments. Uh, so talk a, a little bit about, if you would, like some of the the things, ways that you discerned uh, your decision and the story of uh, how you wound up uh, at Kind. Well, it's kind of funny. Sometimes, you know, the Jesuit might have one foot in the air waiting to hear the call. Uh, the opposite can happen in, in, in corporate America where you have no choice but to move because, you know, stuff happens. So I, I joke about that a little bit that I, I try to be open to God's calling and, and open to it, you know, kind of a, a little who moved my cheese concept. You have to be open to the call. But uh, sometimes the, the change is thrust upon you. I think in my last 20 years in corporate America, I've had the company I worked for go under. Uh, the division I was working for um, uh, being sold, uh, my position being eliminated, uh, you know, my position being demoted and my, and my company being acquired. So sometimes <laughs> yeah, it's good that Jesuits are comfortable with change and moving around because you have to be in corporate world as well, whether you're, it's, a, it's a change you feel called to that you're seeking out or that a change that's thrust upon you. But I do think that woke me to an important difference, which is the difference between prayer and discernment. There's been times where I found myself in vulnerable situations where, you know, where you're weak, you're strong. And I've really leaned on, on, on God and prayed a lot because I was in nerve wracking situations with my career, which, you know, obviously endangers my family's welfare. Um, but there's really no discernment to be had between uh, losing my job and staying unemployed and my family going hungry or getting a new job. You get a new job. Now you might need some discernment on, hey, if you have 
multiple opportunities, which one you pick. But there's a difference between, hey, you're in circumstances, you are praying for God's help. But there's really not a decision to be had. There's others, and kind was one where, wow, uh, there's two goods here, and I have to decide what to do. And what's uh, important is not just the decision I make, but why I make it and how I make it. And that was certainly um, uh, true in the case with, with, with kind uh, and deciding to come here. Yeah, you mentioned well two goods, and that I think is often talked about when when discernment is mentioned in you know Jesuit world is that it's you don't have to discern when you're like deciding whether you should steal a kind bar from Starbucks or not steal a kind bar, right? Like you shouldn't yeah. do that. Like that's no. an easy decision. That's really um, easy. Don't steal it, pay for it because you know exactly. You need to rub but, it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But when there are two two goods, like so. In, in that case, coming to kind, I know you were at, at a place with like some good opportunities to continue or to do something new. So could you just walk us through that? Oh, sure. The reason I needed to search for kind, because on the one hand, it seems like a no-brainer. So uh, bottom line, it was, uh, I think it was, let's see, almost two years ago. It was March of 2018. I got a call from an executive recruiter about a role of CEO of, CEO of kind. Uh, at the time, I was actually running a healthy foods company uh, in Colorado called Boulder Brands. Very happy there. Uh, but I was instantly intrigued by Kind because I was already a consumer of the bars and a fan of the brand. So I looked into it further. And the more I, more I looked, the more I liked. And what I found was, you know, that Kind is that mission-driven company uh, founded by a social justice entrepreneur, Daniel Lepetsky. So I already hit on that a little bit. I won't go deeper into that. Uh, but not only did I see it as a great job, I also saw it as a once-in-a-life opportunity to really feel, fully integrate you know, my faith-based background and personal beliefs with my career. So as such, that one should have been a no-brainer too. But it was uh, there was a little bit of a catch. Uh, again, this was like spring, summer of 18. And at the same time, my company, my parent company, Pinnacle Foods, was about to be acquired by a bigger company, Conagra Foods. And as an executive of Pinnacle, I was uh, set to receive a pretty substantial payout if I stayed until the deal was closed, right? So you get severance in your stock all grants. It would have been a really really big payout, at least by, you know, uh, for me, that could have really helped secure my family's uh, uh, future. Um, and the challenge trick was the timing, uh, because this was like, say, July of 18, the kind offer was out and on the table. The deal of uh, the acquisition I was part of wasn't going to close, supposed to close till about December. So uh, it was a bird in the hand of two the bush, either uh, had the decision of either staying for the payout, till the end of the year, stay until the end of the year, get the payout and passing on kind or taking kind now, but walking away from the, uh, a big amount of money that could have secured my family's future. So that's a tricky one because again, like I said, it's not just what you decide, but how you decide and why, you know, logically I could argue it either way. Hey, maybe, maybe God wants me. He's tempted me with kind. He wants me to stay because he's given me a gift of a path that would take care of my family. Okay, well, maybe not. Maybe the money is a temptation. And really, he's calling me to be a faith-based leader of a mission-driven company founded by a social justice entrepreneur. Um, and, and that could be a, a little tricky. But then, oh, if I take that, and I think I'm following God's call, am I putting my family's uh, future in jeopardy or am I being selfish? Because I want to be a CEO and I want to do this role, but I'm doing it at the expense of, you know, a lot of money that would take care of five people depending on me. So this is, as you know, Mike, this is really tricky stuff. This is, you know, the two standards. Are you being tempted, uh, you know, by the evil one, or are you being called by Christ to do something bigger? So it was a really um, 
uh, I'd say a high anxiety, even though it was two goods and a little bit of a champagne problem, it was most decidedly because of the timing and the money involved, uh, uh, a time of great stress and anxiety, but also a clear, uh, clearly a situation ripe for discernment. Um, I'm happy to talk a little bit about how I actually went through that process. Yeah. You know, walk, walk me through that, that time again. So what did you do? Okay. So in that case, what I did is I a, kept my circle of advisors small. Uh, I, I feel so fortunate to have so many great relationships and advocates so I can turn to for advice. But I said, ooh, this is a doozy. I don't want too many voices in my head. And so it was uh, my former mentor, my former CEO, uh, an executive um, uh, recruiter friend of mine, and uh, my executive coach. And then, of course, you know how you get your lawyer and your, your personal advisor involved. And at one point or another, all five of them said, don't do this. I know you were interested in that job, but you've worked hard to build Pinnacle Foods. You've earned that payout and your family's earned it. So I'm like, OK. Uh, then, of course, my wife, Amy, who's uh, the most important person in the world, my partner, she started it the other way. And she's the one who gave me the gift of uh, started to give me freedom from inordinate attachments, as it were. And she just basically came in and said, Forget about the money. We don't need the money. What's important to me and the kids is that you're happy. Um, and if you're happy, stay in and take the money. Great. If not, don't worry about it. She also said, she, she goes, I know I'm a pretty simple guy. Um, I never set out to be a CEO. She's like, listen, you know, what are we going to do? Buy a yacht or join a country club? She's like, you like go to baseball games with your buddies. You're playing volleyball. Her friends from St. Anne's on Memorial Day. We can still afford those things. So she really, uh, as my life partner, my soulmate, really, uh, set me up. So that said, I was still struggling. I literally had to come back to New Jersey in like the second weekend of July. And it was a weird, rare weekend when I came from Colorado back home to New Jersey. And Amy and the kids were all out of town. So I had the house to myself. So I'm like, okay, and I got to make a decision. So if I'm looking for quiet time and space to pray and discern, I got it. And uh, you mentioned Chris Lowney's book, uh, Heroic Leadership where he was a Jesuit who went to become a corporate executive. There's another book that's been my reference guide in life, uh, James Martin's A Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything. And as you know, James Martin, as most people would know, James Martin started out a Wharton MBA and a G executive and became a Jesuit. So he went the exact opposite way of Chris. And he's really influenced me a lot. And so I went to the book, uh, Jesuit Guide to Just About Everything, and I looked for the chapter on discernment, um, on making decisions. And I found it. As I flipped through the table of context, there were three other chapters that actually caught my attention. And I said, you know what? I'm going to read these first before I, I reread these first before I discern. Number one, I can't remember the order, but number one of them was be who you is. Um, so know it and be true to yourself. The second one uh, was surrender to the future, right? So a little bit of kind of that notion of let go and let God be free. And then the third one, uh, interesting in this case, was uh, the joy of downward mobility. And it was about making sure that you had your priorities right and didn't have an inordinate attachments. And again, geez, when I stayed and took a big payout <laughs> or I would became CEO of kind, it's not exactly downward mobility. So this is champagne problems, but the whole point is two equal goods. And so I reread those three chapters. And quite frankly, almost before the time I got to the sermon, I knew what I wanted to do. And one thing I love about the sermon is it says, hey, be open. If the spirit moves you, go with the spirit, look for the consolations. Um, and if you feel affirmed by that, you, you've got your decision. You don't have to go much more through the rest of the process. So I did. But I think after I read those things, I was like, gosh, there's a reason I picked up the book. There's a reason I saw those three chapters. And there's a reason I read those first. And I know what I need to know. I want to be who I am, which is I want to be a faith-based servant leader. I want to join forces with a social justice entrepreneur, 
helping him uh, take his mission-based company to the next level while he goes on and saves the world. Um, and that knowing that I can start into the future and not worry about the money. So I basically said, I'm taking time and money out of the equation. If it was six months earlier, I would have had the payday. I would have taken kind. If it was six months later, I would have had the payday. If it was six months later, I would have had it. I'm taking time and money out. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. And I believe I'm called to join kind. And that's what I did. Did like any of those folks in your inner circle or anyone else you, you talk to about that say like, Hey, that's crazy. <laughs> like, did you have to face down any of that? No, you know what? That's a funny thing about discernment. Um, afterwards, you're never going to be hundred percent sure you need to do two things. Look for consolations, i.e. affirmations that say, gosh, my spirit feels lifted. And then you got to be open later to signs that say, Ooh, was it the wrong decision or whatever? And I got some pretty quick affirmation. My executive coach, uh, said, wow, that is a great decision because the way you approached it and he was thinking more like psychological terms was Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the bottom of the pyramid, food, shelter, clothing, whatever. He goes, you take your soul. Your responsibility is a sole breadwinner for your wife and four kids really seriously, maybe too seriously sometimes. You've been doing it for 25 years. You'll always do it. It's in your DNA. That's in the vault. This is about the top of the pyramid. This is about self-actualization. And what? who do you want to be? What kind of impact do you want to make in the last 10 or 15 years of your career? And that's higher level thinking. So he gave me a nice affirmation. Um, my financial planner was like, don't do this. He goes, let me rerun the numbers, and I'm going to run the best case scenario if you stay at Pinnacle and the worst case scenario at uh, a kind, and we ran through some things. And he goes, you know what? You know, here's the real delta. If you take 50% off for the alcohol Sam's, here's how much I really think you know, you're know you gaining to lose. Can you live with that? And I said, I don't know. You're my financial planner. Can I? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I think you can. I said, okay. If you think I can, then I can. So I started uh, – these other people and resources started coming around. And that gave me some consolation. And then uh, long story short, uh, <laughs> the deal was supposed to close at the end of December. I joined Kind in mid-September. Six weeks late, Halloween, the deal closed uh, early. And so I was six weeks away from both collecting the patent and joining Kind. And, hey, of course, I was human and I noticed that. But the feeling of consolation didn't change. It didn't become desolation. I didn't say, oh, my gosh, what did I do? I'm so... I'm so upset with myself for making this decision. I, I didn't have any second thoughts, and I knew I was called to kind and kind was this place I was supposed to be. So uh, even later, when I had a potential desolation, a potential kind of negative reinforcement, it didn't feel that way at all to me. So uh, so uh, uh, kind of that's the, that's kind of how other folks came around and, and how I felt uh, uh, validated as, as, as things went on. I really appreciate your sharing the kind of details of that story. And, you know, I know for... Me as someone younger than you, but uh, with three three kids now, there's all those questions about how do I best like, provide for them? How, what you know? How does my joy and my gifts and like my job opportunities like how do those things come together so that we can like both do meaningful things and also take care? And it's just uh, those are you know they're they're good problems to have uh, when you can kind of discern those things. But take again a lot of that kind of prayer and reflection and uh, just happy to know that that was a, a big part for your of your own decision making. You know, I, I think sometimes um, yeah, just to even to remember to, to bring those things, those big decisions to those tools that in this case, Ignatian spirituality offers and, and others, uh, again, kind of seeking that, that input. And, and, you know, you talked about Amy's uh, input being so important and obviously like that, that partnership, uh, so crucial. Well, it, um, it's tricky, Mike, cause you're talking about your whole self. I mean, I went to a sermon once on the feast of the Holy family. I was in Cleveland. It was like 1997. I still remember cause it was my parents' 40th anniversary in the sermon. The priest talked about, Hey, your job is your profession, but your family is your vocation. And that's stuck with me ever since. 
And so first and foremost, okay, well, of course, Amy, the kids are my first priority, but a, a career is a means to an end. So, you know, the stronger the career, the more I'm uh, providing for them. And of course, uh, the career is also a means to an end of not providing for them, but doing good in the world. That was a huge unlock for me. It's like, I don't have to run off to Africa, drop Amy the kids and be a missionary in Africa. I can make a good impact, positive effect on the world by just showing up every day, influencing and leading these people. So it's a little tricky because you don't want to rationalize, ooh, I just got to work all the time to pay the bills because then you've lost perspective. But at the same time, you know, but you and I are, are, are these people who are dependent on us and you got to be able to do uh, good at what you do and, and, and have to be able to provide for the family. So it can be a little tricky. You just got to say, hey, they're all part of the equation. How do I best balance them? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned about a year now or so kind of in that role at, at Kind. Uh, has that been a year of consolation that the decision was a, a good one for you? <laughs> uh, I'm going to laugh at that one a little bit, which is I won't lie. I think the first uh, nine months in particular were quite a struggle. I, I certainly had moments of doubt. Um, uh, and that's okay. Sounds fun when it happens, but that's okay because you don't all know that these decisions, I, there's times I wonder, did I make the right decision? Not because of money, but for other things, there's time I wonder if I should give up. But every time I went back to Ignatian spirituality, the whole point is just because you make the right decision and you're following God's will, will, will doesn't mean it's easy. As a matter of fact, when we're all called to carry a cross, that's the whole point, it's a cross. It's not supposed to be easy all the time. And so there was times I struggled and I wondered, but every time I looked back and said, I have gotten no indication that this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I just got to stop feeling sorry for myself because it's not as easy or as fun as I thought it would be. Um, that said, um, uh, as times clicked on and we've done a lot of heavy lifting to get our strategy right, our structure right, our staffing right, our, our, our key initiatives right, the whole ball of wax, um, right now, I, I couldn't be more clear and more confident that knowledge is the right place for me, but we're doing the right things and heading in the right direction. So uh, by all means, um, I couldn't feel more blessed uh, uh, to be here. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the last 15 months has been uh, always a walk in the, uh, uh, in the park, and that's okay. It's not necessarily supposed to be. Before we, we wind down, I just wanted to give you a chance if you wanted to talk a little bit about, I know you've, you've talked to me off air about uh, some of the you know, initiatives uh, of Daniel Lubitsky and uh, of KIND and the hope. And you mentioned earlier, just briefly, some of the, the peacemaking work uh, that, that he's been involved in and that the foundation connected to KIND has been involved in. So if there's yeah any of that you want to tell folks about, they might not know. Well, a couple of high level things besides selling, you know, great tasting, better for you bars and clear wrappers at Starbucks. There's so much more we do. Uh, that's obviously the foundation of everything, and, and, it, and, it, and it means a lot. Uh, we call it the kind promise, always leading with nutrient-dense uh, first ingredients that are, are great for everyday consumption and doing it with real ingredients they can see and pronounce that are both healthy and tasty. So we're really proud to deliver on that promise. We're starting to expand or extend that kind promise to both new categories um, as well as new countries. Uh, last year, we launched in three countries all over Europe and Asia, uh, into Africa and the Middle East. So we're so we're really trying to make sure that we extend the kind promise to more consumers and more categories and more occasions uh, throughout the world. So that's fantastic from a business standpoint, but we're also making sure we do two other things, is uh, live and lead our mission of social impact. And so for example, a couple ways uh, we did this this year, we always have our kind day of service, uh, where we uh, head out as a team into different uh, places throughout New York and throughout the country to get back to our community. But what was also done this year is a, a snack and give back project, which is 
uh, for the first time in our history, we've redesigned our, our packaging and our labels to recognize groups that otherwise feel excluded and don't get the empathy and the support they need. So we've done two of those so far, where we redesigned Kind for Kind Pride Bar uh, to recognize uh, 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 the LGBTQ community. And then we also did a Kind Heroes Bar, Red, White, and Blue Bar, uh, to recognize and to support uh, a returning veterans who need help um, uh, you know, reassimilated into a regular society. So um, that's our Snack and Big Gap Give Back project. And then the second thing we do beyond uh, living our social mission is we try to make sure we're a health and wellness uh, advocate and leader. So last year, for example, we uh, challenged the FDA for them to reconsider their rules for how you make nutrient content claims. So you can't take a sugary drink or a sugary uh, kid's fruit snack and say, good, excellent source of vitamin C, when all it is is empty calories uh, and sugar fortified with some nutrients, we're pushing them to say, hey, you have to uh, measure the quality of the nutrient, not just the quantity, and you have to have positives that offset the negatives. That's one thing. And then we're really working hard to educate consumers on the amount of hidden sugars in their foods, even seemingly uh, better for your choices like bars and granola and cereal and yogurt, as well as the amount of synthetic dyes uh, in kids' uh, foods and snacks. So uh, beyond you know, delivering on the kind promise from a product standpoint, we're trying to do everything we can to uh, have social uh, impact, uh, meaningful social impact, as well as to uh, really be an advocate for health and wellness education. I can tell you that the sugar level in most types of granola has made me very upset recently as I've learned this. Yeah, and, and, and like- <laughs> yogurt is another one that was a hot thing for 20 years. And people are going, wow, that's a lot of sugar. And diabetes and, epi- uh, and obesity are such an epidemic. Uh, there's a new study out that says, Food causes more death in America than alcohol and tobacco. Hmm. That's not what people are. That's it's a combination of the things they're eating that they shouldn't, as well as the things that we should be eating: whole grains, whole fruits, vegetables, seeds that we're not getting enough of. Yeah. Well, uh, sounds really uh, exciting. It'll be fun to kind of watch the the next few years, and we'll think of you when we see uh, new things popping up and. Uh, yeah, it's great stuff. So I, I wanted to wrap if you're open to this. Sure. Uh, we do a section sometimes we call 20 questions. Rapid fire, no discussion questions just to help us get to know you a little bit more. Oh, All right. Are you, are you, you open on, to that? Yeah, hold on. Let me get my just sip of water and get, get, get uh, set up here. Get ready. Yeah, I, get, no, All no, right. I will ask no follow-up. <laughs> so just 20, 20 questions are on the clock. Okay. All number, right. number one, what are you reading? Uh, right now I'm actually reading two books. Uh, the Hard Thing About Hard Things. Uh, which is by Ben Horowitz. It's about being a CEO. And then uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Franklin. Number two, what is the best gift you have ever received? Mm. Mm. I'm not a big gift guy. Oh, I, I'd say this is really personal. Um, a worry stone for my wife, Amy. It's a little glass oval with a guardian angel uh, inside of it. Uh, she gave it to me when we first moved to New Jersey 20 years ago. And I have it in my pocket and I might be in 24-7, 365. Number three, your favorite saint? Uh, besides Ignatius, I assume. <laughs> sure. Uh, I probably have to say St. Joseph then. I mean, he's just the perfect role model for anybody who's a husband, a father, and a servant leader. Number four, your first your first job? Uh, first real job, I guess, quote unquote real. I was a paper boy for the now defunct Cleveland Press. Number five, two weeks in Paris or 10 minutes on the moon? I take the two weeks, but uh, Paris is my favorite city. I might pick a different city, but I, I have no interest in going to the moon. <laughs> Number six, least favorite chore. Uh, I'm doing a lot of it now that I have an apartment in New York for why I'm here at Kinder in the week. Uh, laundry, 
Uh, I'm not a big fan of laundry, and I especially have learned I hate trying to fold fitted sheets. It is a nightmare. <laughs> Number seven, if you could uninvent one thing, what would it be? Mm, uninvent one thing. I'd have to say guns in America. Just, yeah, yes, guns. That's an easy one. Number eight, your favorite sound? Favorite sound? Yep. Uh... How about the crack of a baseball bat, especially on opening day? I go to opening a day in a different city every year. I've done it 23 years in a row with some buddies from college. Number nine, your favorite hymn, like church, church hymn. Church hymn. Um, uh, is Litany of the Saints a hymn or is sure. it more of a chant? No, that counts. I that. Number 10, your favorite zoo animal. Rhinoceros. Number 11, what superpower would you most want to have? Um, hmm. Not really the whole Superman hero thing. My son goes all the Marvel movies, but uh, I guess I guess I'd have to say that the ability to fly would be pretty cool, uh, especially in and around New York City would save me a lot of a lot of time. <laughs> Number twelve. What's the best thing you cook? Uh, I don't cook like at all, but I'd say uh, the best thing I prepare for myself since fourth grade is a staple: peanut butter and salami sandwiches. <laughs> number 13 if you were ruler of your own country what would be the first law you would introduce Ooh, that's a good one um how about free beer fridays <laughs> number 14 what current or past music group would you most want to join oh wow that's another tough one i'm way into music and i have very very tastes all the way back from classic rock through alternative pop that's a, that's a too many to list here i think but uh I guess I'd go with the Stones. I mean, they pretty much uh, have done and seen it all. So that would be, and they have a long history. So that would have been a, a, quite the ride. Number 15, what is one thing you will never do again? Oh, that's easy because I have sworn it off. We talked about it earlier. I used it as a metaphor, but I hate it, which is playing golf. Um, I suck at it. It gives me a headache, and my brother-in-law's always uh, make fun of me. So I vow to never play golf again unless I absolutely have to. <laughs> Number 16, you have the chance to meet Pope Francis – one-on-one, -on -one, but you only get one sentence. What do you say? Oh, wow. Wow, that's another super tough one. And interestingly, Daniel does work with Pope Francis's team and has a, a picture of him and Pope Francis on the office, uh, his office wall. And I actually met with Father Martin in December, and I, I asked him about his uh, recent one-on-one -on -one with Pope Francis. So that's a, that's a, ooh, that's a big one. I guess I would, I would just thank him. Uh, I thank him for bringing empathy and inclusiveness uh, uh, back to the church. Um, you know, he is living the gospel uh, as much as anybody uh, I've seen since uh, Mother Teresa. And then, um, uh, and then I'd probably hand him a uh, kind bar. <laughs> number, number 17, what could you give a 45-minute presentation on with no preparation? Oh, that's pretty easy. Uh, the Simpsons. The Simpsons? Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other podcast then. I said no follow-up, but that's a big topic for me too. Okay. Number 18, what's one thing you want to try but you haven't gotten around to yet? Uh, I do have on my bucket list a lot of great places to travel, but one thing that's travel plus doing something would be an African safari. Number 19, what dumb accomplishment are you most proud of? Oh my gosh, this is pretty funny. I think it's a bit of a dumb accomplishment, but my daughters love it, and it's grown to this legendary joke status among them and all of their friends, which is I, uh, I'm the person who came up with a, a hint of blind tostitos. Say that again. I, I'm the person you're who, fading. I'm the person who came up with hint of lime tostitos. Hint of lime tostitos. Yeah, that that's not that's not dumb. I know my, that's, my that's daughters. Made the world. 
my daughter's <laughs> well the funny thing when you're at frito-lay you come out with new flavors all the time but a lot of them last for a year or two i i came up with that in 1999 that product is flavors now uh, over 20 years old, still going strong. Still going. Coming up Super Bowl time. Big big, big time for that. Yeah, absolutely. Number 20, what makes you feel alive? Uh, you mean besides selling Kyron bars and recording a Jesuit podcast? Right, besides that. Okay, those are the two obvious ones. So I'd have to say, you know, just spending quality time with my wife, my kids, my family, and my friends. I'm much more of an experiential guy than a material guy. And, you know, I have... Uh, uh, four priorities in life. It's my faith, my family, my friends, um, and my fitness and, uh, why I feel most alive when I'm, um, uh, with Amy, the kids, uh, our extended families and, and my friends, again, like I said, going all the way back to kindergarten and through Ignatius and beyond. So, uh, that's most important to me. That's when I feel most alive. All right, Mike Barkley, you've made it through 20 questions. You have made it through the AMDG podcast. Thank you so much again for sharing your time out of your busy schedule and you kind of bring us behind the scenes a little bit of some, you know, big discernments in, in your life and how you bring Ignatian spirituality uh, to to your everyday. Uh, so I really appreciate your, your sharing the story and uh, always nice to chat with you. Well, hi, Mike. I appreciate you inviting me. I really enjoyed it. I hope uh, the listeners find it helpful in some way, shape or form. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Doris Sump, Megan Leipsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan-Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. Oh,